This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day, and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 53, recorded on the 7th of May, 2013. Today's topic, great nature programs at summer camp. If you would like easy, automatic, and free updates of our podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, the BlackBerry Podcast Directory, or the Stitcher app. Search for Camp Hacker. This week's Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored in part by the Camp Owners and Directors Association. You provide quality experiences for children, helping them grow and gain independence. We help you achieve your vision. And also by the Camp Hacker Evaluating Your Online Presence Report. An easy-to-understand measurement of all your online marketing efforts. The EOP also includes a one-hour consultation at no extra cost. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Camp Hacker. My name is Travis Allison. I run a blog about running a great summer camp at camphacker.tv. Hi, my name is Joe Richards. I'm the executive director at Pierce Williams Christian Center, which is a summer camp and retreat facility part of the United Church of Canada. We are located in southwestern Ontario, about halfway between Detroit and Toronto. I'm Ruby Compton. I'm the summer camp program director at Green River Preserve, a summer camp located outside of Asheville that uh, focuses on connecting children with nature. Ruby, it's great to have you back. Thanks. Exciting we, to be here again. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we are hopefully also going to be joined by Harold from Nature Watch. Um, and Harold is a, a, a former camp director, camp owner, um, owner, I think. But we'll talk to him about that. But we're just having trouble getting him on the line. So I might, um, I might sort of turn our discussion over to Ruby and Joe to get it started while I work on getting, um, getting Harold on as well. What we're going to do today is talk about nature programs. And we've sort of left it open, but just for inf for your information for the two of you, um, what I was really thinking about is the first question is um, what nature programs at summer camp have, um, what effect have they had on you? What stuck out for you when you were um, camper, counselor, senior staff, etc., or director? And Ruby, I'd like to start with you if I could. Sure. Um, so I was definitely the kid who took outdoor living skills at every camp I ever went to. Um, and that program ranged depending on the kind of camp I was at. You know, it, it might be learning to build a fire. It might be learning to track animals. Um, I specifically remember the summer camp when to get the award in the class, you had to hold a snake. And I just remember being terrified. But also... It was the coolest experience ever, and ever since then I've had this great respect for snakes because it was an, such a unique feeling um, where you could feel their muscles moving and um, totally different from what I thought it was going to be. Um, and that was probably I, is a big driving force in why I'm in camp these days is those specific classes. Um, and I still teach fire building like I learned it when I was in outdoor living skills. Um, so yeah, I think that would be the effect it had on me specifically. No. And Joe, what was it like for you? I, I think that nature is one of those things that 
camp is all about. It's it's what we do, and um, what I remember as a camper is being in nature all the time. So the the way that the camp I grew up is set up is very much your um, your you feel like you're in nature all the time. And the nature sessions that I you know from firelighting and cookouts and sleepouts to the actual nature programs and and watching people. Um, lead things that I was like, that's bizarre, and show me. It's the magic of nature as well. There's certain magical qualities that s certain plants have that when you touch them, they blow up, right? Or that when you, you know, how to use birch birch tree um, fallen bark to, to light a fire, which threw me for the loop the first time I saw it because I was at a uh, leadership training thing at Bark Lake, which is the old camp leadership center in Ontario, and they talked about, oh, just go to the closest birch tree and find some fallen bark to help you light your fire. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we have a 25-acre wood at our camp, and there were two birch trees. I was like, this is – and it, it was at that moment in time that I realized what different ecosystems are, right? Like, because where I was for Bark Lake was a, was a boreal forest, and where I camp is a Carolinian forest. And you don't have a lot of birch tree and Carolinian forest, so it was – Nature is one of those whole reasons that I that I come to camp. So, yeah, and I know. <clears throat> I I remember cool camp. I remember doing great stuff in the woods when I was a camper, and loving being in the woods. And all of the camp that I grew up is all second growth forest, which I suppose is probably the truth for most of us. Um, and a lot of it, when the camp was formed, was farmers' field, and they had planted a lot of cedar. Um, so I remember the smell of camp um, being the smell of cedar, uh, and um, and you know playing in the woods, which I always loved. I did that as a kid at home as well. But one thing that um, my first real aha moment of nature programming was when um, when I was counselor and we had a woman who was hired to do a specific nature program, and we should probably. But decide amongst ourselves how to define it because I, I in my head, define nature, um, a nature program is being a bit different than outdoor living skills. So a bit less of fire building, shelter building stuff and more on um, trees, animals, ecosystems, etc. But this this woman was the first woman who had done this program at campus new um, and she was amazing and she had the, the best tricks um, and uh, you know she was the first person who said well what does cedar taste like and we we're all like well I don't know what cedar tastes like um, so I guess we'll find out and uh, she was the one that really opened my eyes um, to the amazing opportunities that we had for for the programs at camp and how we could really change kids impression of of what it meant to be there and I think that the value of nature programming is only getting more and more important as we're um, as a, an organization of summer camp directors as we're getting more and more used to the idea that we need to be leaders in bringing this to kids Ruby, I know that Green River has a whole variety of programs, um, and I'm going to ask you a bit about that. But um, Joe, you look like you had something you wanted to add when we're talking about our own growing up. I did. One of the things that I had to add was just that over the past ten years, it's changed dramatically as well, from what we consider nature programs as kids in the way that you talk about them, and and what. Um, how the research has shown that we that nature plays a significant role in 
um, in the development of children as well. So this is the Last Child in the Woods with um, with Richard Louvre, and it's also Robert uh, Bateman is a Canadian artist who has a whole program on on nature programs and the his. I saw him speak, and it's this idea that you can have conservation, right, where I go to a conservation area and I have to stay on the path, right, but the first thing they say is stay on the path, but at camp I have this feeling that we're not doing conservation, we're doing education, and so his his whole thing is how can a child grow to love something if they're never allowed to touch it, mm -hmm. right, so how are you going to have someone who loves nature if they can never taste the cedar, if they can never rub their hands through the mint, if they can never get muddy, and it's uh, it's this value of what we do um, and it changes the way we we view nature as a program as well. So, yeah. Ruby, is there anything you want to add to that, or or do you want to talk about the programs and the philosophy of the stuff that you're doing now? Um, I agree a thousand percent with everything you said, Joe. So you said it well. <laughs> um, so as far as what we do at Green River Preserve, we're very blessed with 3,400 acres of private wildlife preserve. So, you know, our land resource is obviously a big perk um, where we have trails that we can teach. You have to stay on the trail because this is a high-use area, but we also have places where the kids don't go very often. So we can say, go wander off the trail and discover and find and, and see what happens. Um, but the way our camp program is set up, is we do between breakfast and lunch every day all of our campers go out on hikes on the preserve and so for three hours they're out exploring the land um, and they're led by professional naturalists we hire staff we call mentors and it is very much their job to help guide and facilitate self-directed learning so the kids go out and they find what they're interested in and that's what we talk about um, I was a mentor last summer and I will tell you it was the best job in summer camp because I got to spend all morning just out in the woods and we have staff who've grown up here and they've been on mentor hikes their entire lives and they would be able to come to me and say hey we're going to Long Rock today do you know about the labyrinth can I take you there and so then they're showing me these secret places that now the this set of kids gets to explore that maybe never seen it before maybe it's been five years since anybody has visited that place um, and what's cool is that our mentors are very diverse I mean we have folks that have been working with us since Green River Preserve started 26 summers ago um, and who have a career in outdoor education and do school programming all the time and I mean that's their life um, but we also have folks that were like me you know maybe you're a teacher during the school year or you do environmental ed during the school year and are kind of younger in that process and so you have this whole culture of outdoor educators who are sharing have different backgrounds um, who different experiences with kids different life experiences and it's amazing the knowledge that people can bring to the table um, so just having that kind of knowledge there but also it is totally okay to tell the kids you know I don't know anything about that what do you think <laughs> and getting them to tell us what they think and then coming back to camp and then asking the other mentors hey I found this mushroom and I know nothing about it what do you guys know and you know being able to bounce off ideas like that I mean it was just it, it was so cool um, I think another big part of our program is that we encourage the kids 
to just take time in nature, you know, just to sit there, just be, just observe what's going on around you. It's really easy to go on a nature hike and not notice the nature at all because you're too busy talking to your friends and, um, you know, sorting through problems that are going on or whatever it might be. But to really just go and look and observe um, is so critical and just taking that time to be curious and to wonder and to think about the things that you're seeing. Um, I think the, the kind of last point I want to make is we often run into these moments of should we interfere. Uh, last summer we had a group that was walking through the cabin area and they're with a mentor and they look up in the trees and there is a black rat snake that's just headed right for this bird's nest. I mean, they are about to watch nature happen. And, you know, immediately the kids are going, we got to stop the snake. And, you know, the mentor said, well, the snake has to eat too. And that would be the natural occurrence if we weren't here. So I think we just need to kind of let this play out. Um, and that's a huge lesson for kids to see um, and, and to facilitate that conversation and, and to get them thinking about that. And um, having grown up on a farm, I... Um, I always felt like I had a more appreciation for this is sort of how nature works than, and that that's a perfect example of of how nature works, and that um, in the same way that I, I don't think the, the the purpose of a camp nature program is to help kids understand where meat comes from. That's it's, although it's important, and I think it's a good skill, but that's sort of one of those things that I would not force on kids at a young age. Um, but I think that letting them know that nature has all these, um, <clears throat> you know, that it's not perfect, it's not pretty, but it's exciting and interesting and worth learning things about. What were you going to say, Joe? Yeah, the the not perfect part is the not perfect part is an important thing because. Um, when people, if you have maintenance, a maintenance crew who loves to keep the woods looking pristine, woods aren't supposed to look pristine, right? Woods are woods. They, they look the way they look. I have a great picture. It wasn't, I wasn't with campers, but I did take a picture of it. Um, we came across, I was on a site tour and I was showing someone our low rope site and we came across a snake like halfway through eating a frog. Like, so literally the frog was sticking out of the mouth. And I was like, I'll, I'll take a picture of that because that snake's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I was getting, and it's fascinating to, to let nature happen. And it's, it's one of those things, 3,400 acres is, uh, would be, yeah, you could wander. So just to clarify, Ruby, that's the whole program. Like three hours in the morning, they go out for a hike and three hours at night or three hours in the afternoon, they go out for a different hike and you have different groups going to different places on site. Basically, I mean, the mornings are hikes, afternoons are spent at base camp doing other skills um, and other activities. But yeah, it's very much the the center of the program is that we go out and we hike every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. That awesome. And, and if we had a site that was that size, that would be amazing. Um, it's one of those things where, because the discovery, and this is what we're trying to get across to, to our staff slowly over time, is this idea that... Um, uh, it, Richard Louvre talks about free play, right? And and I attended a conference. It's got to be three or four years ago now in Victoria, British Columbia. And Richard Louvre was a keynote speaker and Robert Bateman. And, and it was um, this idea that we free play in nature is so valuable, right? So letting my kids come home off the school bus 
and I live at camp year-round and let them just go play in the woods is going to solve a lot of issues that they have if they had a rough day at school or if they had other things going on. The concept at camp, and this is a difficult part, a lot of people when they read when they read that book, Last John in the Woods, are like, we don't need to worry about it because as camp people, this is what we do. And I would argue that it's not what we do as camp people. We like Green River Preserve probably does it by getting them in the woods for three hours. But for most camps, we're so programmed that there's no time for free play or for the to be in nature, right? And so that's the hard part with our staff is saying, listen, just go out into the woods and let the kids explore. And they're like, well, what are we doing? You're right. you're <laughs> letting the kids explore. Yeah, but what's that mean? Like, what's my job? Keep the kids safe, you know. And and it's it's a very diff different thing than than what we've always train them, which is uh, have always have a game in your back pocket, like always be ready to go and, and never let a down moment happen. Part of the beauty of nature is that down moments happen all the time, and if we're not there to pay attention, they'll happen without us noticing. Yeah, I want to piggyback on that and say there's a great activity um, out there called the secret spot. And so whether you have thousands of acres or very little, that you have your campers or maybe your group, um, your cabin group or your tribe group or whatever, pick a spot that is natural. Um, does it mean it's a little patch of grass? Does it mean it's a flower bed? Does it mean it's just a little tucked away spot in the woods? It, it can really be anything. But that that's a place that your group or your kids visit every day. And this is a great practice for, um, for people at home but also at camp that then the kids get to see this place and how it changes every day. And, oh, look, there's an anthill there today that wasn't there yesterday. Um, or, you know, wow, this, this, I'm really getting a lot of sunlight here now. Look how the sun has changed positions since the last time we were here. I mean, just giving them the opportunity to be in that spot, even if that's not the program that you're running there, but just to be in that spot and have that moment of, like, this looks a little bit different, or it looks totally the same, and it's just this familiar secret place that they have and love. I know our our old camp has, and since I left, but um, but maybe Beth was involved in this, but they um, had created a wishing tree in the woods, and we're in 200 acres, and you're basically sworn to secrecy if you know where the wishing tree is, um, and it's been one of my favorite things to watch how important it is for the staff to find it. It's part of their staff journey. Like, I need to find the wishing tree. And people spend their days off in the woods looking for the wishing tree. And it's, and it's marked. Um, and truthfully, I haven't found it yet. And I, whenever I go to camp, I love to get up early in the morning and going to the woods with the dog because it's a big part of what camp means to me is is hiking the trails and being there myself, uh, being in the woods myself. And so I haven't found it yet, but um, I know that that's a big, part of the the journey of being a staff person is getting there to find that spot and it's a little bit like you were you know sit down and, and notice the spot Ruby but it's also um, a way to get people out and exploring and um, I always thought that was so hard because I I mean I would snowshoe for an hour every day when we lived at camp and then I would and as soon as it would get um, as soon as the snow would go, then I would be out in the woods for an hour every morning, um, just walking the trails or you know working on bike trails, etc. And it was I knew the the site like no, I didn't think anyone else did, and I'm glad that they've done this to get people to get to know the site because with um, 
and this is overgeneralizing, when you bring people into a new, a new environment, um, they, they stick to what's safe and sometimes what is unknown in the bush just keeps them, not because they're afraid of it, just because it's unknown, so they just sort of avoid it. And, and any way that they can get the kids and staff, teenagers, everybody out into the woods to do some stuff, I think just makes me really happy. Travis, can you explain the wishing tree a bit more? Um, well, my understanding of it Wait, is so... my understanding of it is that there is a designated spot with a sign on it, and um, there is sort of, and I could be totally wrong because I haven't found it. But what I and understand you were there is, for how long, and you didn't find it? Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it started. It started it's after recent. I, yeah, it started after I left. Okay. Yeah. Okay, um, I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, uh, it, it, it basically has like a, um, a geocache box, Tupperware box near it that you can write something on a tag. I don't know what it is exactly there and hang it on the wishing tree. Huh. So. I've actually See, a lot heard of this talk makes me think, a lot of Joy this talk makes go. me think that um, that when I do, so for every staff training, I take on something we call staff construction, right? We're building a staff team, and so my job as the executive director is to construct that team. And so I spend an hour every day with our whole staff group, and every year I try to keep it fresh with new things, and I can restart recycling every four years because our staff turns over. But in this conversation, I'm thinking to myself, could I run all of my staff construction stuff in in the woods, like somewhere that's not just outside of the program shed and on the, on the grass, and how would that affect the camp, the staff's perception of what um, what the woods are like and how the woods can be used? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. What were we gonna say, Ruby? I, I recently heard of, about a, a staff training activity where you give the staff a map at the beginning of training that has the base camp or whatever on it, and on that on each person's map is a designated spot somewhere. Um, and it might have a little glittery sticker on it or something, but there's this odd thing on the map. And then they are encouraged to go find that spot at some point during staff training and see what's there. And, you know, maybe it is a geocache. Maybe it's a little stuffed animal with a funny saying on it or whatever. But the idea, it was actually put in place because there were some staff who were always getting lost going to this one particular location and so the the management team kind of put together this idea of well let's make sure that our staff are having to go find this location at some point during staff training but they're doing it on their own and I love this idea and I'm totally gonna steal it for this summer um, and it encourages you know me making connection with somebody else who's a return staff as a new staff member it encourages them talking about what this location is and why it's important um, and again, encourages that self-discovery and going out and exploring. Yeah. Joe, I didn't really ask what um, what sort of programs Pierce Williams has that are nature focused. We find that a lot of our nature programs really depend upon the the leader who we choose to lead our ecology program and so it changes from year to year and that's the case with most programs the the value of a program is going to be in that person so at Ruby like you at Green River Preserve bringing on someone who is a professional 
nature interpreter, right? That is, there's a huge value there, um, and that's not what we have. We do we do nature programming every day at camp, um, where there's there's sessions and activities that they they do. We tend to rely a lot on shorter activities because our our activity sessions are only 45 minutes long. They use a lot of uh, books that I've collected over the years. So my favorite book still, and if I if I do nature programming as as staff construction, my favorite book is uh, is Sharing Nature with Children by Joseph Cornell because it's a lot of easy activities that are you can do anywhere. You can do them on the path. You can do them wherever. The other book that we got into, and I saw a talk by these guys a few years ago, was uh, The Coyote's Guide to Nature Discovery. I believe is the name of the book. I'm not sure if that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, but those guys are intense, <laughs> like intense, and to the point where I, I'm like, that's an awesome idea. I'm just not sure we can ever have someone who's that into nature. Um, our, our staff come to camp for camp and, and for the place, and I think that we lack in the sense that our, our site is different than most in the sense that we literally have 30 to 40 acres of grass like of cut grass. It's for programming it's amazing. So we don't need to go into the woods to do things. And to go into the woods you have to you have to walk across the grass. So we do a lot of our program on the open grass and and we do th games like survival out of uh, clouds on the clothesline and uh, which is another book and and th we do those games in the woods and we actually have a labyrinth um, in the woods as well. Um, a, a wood chips with stones marking the labyrinth out. And so people use that, and we have seven kilometers of marked trails. I'm not sure how many miles that is for the Americans in our audience, but um, it, it we have these things, and we don't use them to the best of our abilities. Um, but once again, I think that's just part of the staff culture, and and I know that we can change the staff culture because I continually do it year after year. So. Our programs currently rely a lot on the person, and they rely a lot on these small activities and getting people to play in the woods, and not be afraid to uh, to get messy and get dirty. One of the things that some of our staff were afraid of was we don't like going in the woods because kids could get poison ivy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> how many kids did you notice last year that got poison ivy? And he's like, oh, I don't think we had any kids with poison ivy. And I said, okay, well, what if we set our goal this summer to be that we have ten kids who get poison ivy? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, but then you'd have 10 kids who, and then it, you saw the light go on in his eyes, and I was like, who play in the woods? Yeah, like, that's what we want. I could care less. Poison ivy's not life-threatening unless you're my brother, but um, it's, it's one of those things. If we get kids playing in the woods, it's something that they will learn to do. My kids love it. And it's, it's this weird thing. Uh, the talk today, we were actually on our hike this morning. We were looking at placement for some new World Camp buildings for our new program and whatnot. And, and the conversation on the way back up is was um, looking at old pictures. Your kids are quite young when they came to camp. And I said, well, yeah, we moved here when my daughter was less than a year old. She's known nowhere else. So for her to wander into the woods, is that's normal, right? Like for most parents, that's scary. But for me, I'm like, whatever, just wander in. Some point you'll wander back out, hopefully. <laughs> it's funny, you know, the opportunities that we have as camp directors to share <laughs> with our own families. It's a great thing that you that you get to do that with your kids, Joe. Um, and I know that mm -hmm. 
it's something that is special to our family too. I mean, our, our kids are grown, but um, they're young adults. But I think that the time that we spent doing stuff with them in the woods has had a lot of impact on, on them as adults as well. And we, when they would come to visit us at camp during the winter, um, during their school breaks, they'd come up and, and spend the school breaks with us um, and live with their dad in the city for school. But they'd come up and we would do specific things in the bush just to get them out there. And one of my favorite memories is, um, it, one of my favorite memories is taking them out on a night hike in snowshoes and crisp, crisp cold winter it was amazing. Um, and, uh, and just the things they got to experience finding deer scat in the woods and all these different things, different kinds of, um, different types of bush and trees and things. So it was great. It was really a big, big part of their growing up, I think. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to disappear for just a second, but I'm going to let you to continue the um, the discussion. Let me see if um, or what I want to know is sort of favorite activities. Ruby, I think this is probably your your bag. This is where we're going to turn to you. Favorite activities that really get kids turned on to um, to nature and excited about it. Uh, I definitely have a few favorite go tos. Um, if you've done any kind of research on nature games, etc., uh, you'll often find fairy houses or gnome homes. Um, basically, the concept is you take the kids to an area and you tell them, we are going to use natural materials to build gnome homes or fairy homes, a place for a, a very small creature to come and live. And um, I love that activity. I think it's great. It's surprising how much the kids will get involved with it. But it's also, I think, can be a little bit juvenile in that for younger children, yeah, preschool age, even first, second, third grade, they are really into it. But you try to sell that on a 10th grader, and they're not going to do that activity. Um, so I adapted that one year during staff training. And so instead of using um, gnome homes and fairy houses, I said, I took my oldest staff members, my ones who were working with my oldest campers, and said, okay, we are going to go into the woods, and I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a group of ninjas that protect camp, and they have been getting a little sluggish, and so we need to create a ninja training ground. So you guys are going to get in these small groups, two or three other people, using natural materials, we're going to make ninja training grounds and oh yes by the way those ninjas are no more than two inches tall and so and go you know and so then they'd have time to work on that and we'd come back and we'd go around and visit each of the ninja training grounds and I will tell you I've never had 21 22 year old guys get so excited about sticks and you know creating all these little structures it was phenomenal um, and they did creative things that involved like jumps and balance and capturing insects to be the, the monster that the ninja has to face off with at the end. Um, it was so cool and I just never expected that they would latch onto that. And um, you know, then you also have these debriefs of like, okay, what is it that the ninjas need to learn? Um, they need to know balance. They need to know strength and agility. They need to know courage. And you can then talk about how that segues into life. Like, oh my gosh, I had a, a group one time that made um, a library because they knew that their ninja needed to study. And <laughs> I was like, this is great. Um, 
you just never know what the kids are going to come up with. And I love that. The creativity is huge and the group work is great. I've seen lots of groups that start off just totally distraught and dysfunctional and you kind of go back and give them some guidance and, you know, re-give the instructions and the next thing you know they're, they've built this really cool creation. Um, so that's, that is absolutely one of my favorite activities. Um, another one that's a lot of fun is, uh, I've heard a couple different names, but Predator Prey is the way I learned it. And basic concept is you have one camper who's in a one designated spot and they close their eyes and count to 30 and everybody else hides. And the rule is everybody that's hiding, they have to be able to see the person who is looking for them, is the, is the predator, right? Um, so you have all these kids scatter and they're digging down into the leaves and they're hiding behind trees and they're hiding under rocks but they have to be peeking out and so then when that that it person turns around and looks around they have to stay put and so they'll look around if they see somebody they point at them and say I see Johnny behind that rock and Johnny knows that he's pointing at him because he's looking at him and so then he comes out and if you can't find everybody then you might do you know you have five seconds to rehide have the it turn around you can go on and on. You can have them try to tag the it so they get progressively closer. Um, but one of the things that I love about that is you have this extended period of time where the kids are just, you know, hunkered down and they're surrounded by leaves and dirt and bugs. And all the time I'll have kids tell me, you know, oh my gosh, I was hiding and I couldn't say anything, but there was a spider crawling on me. And just a great getting in touch with nature and really having that experience. Um, the last activity that um, is another pretty solid go-to for me is um, I'll have the kids on a trail at any given point and just kind of stop and um, have them either pick something out within their radius that just speaks to them, something that they think is interesting and cool. And we just do kind of a show and tell. We walk down the line and that person says, I found this leaf and I just thought it was neat. Or I found this bug and it creeps me out, you know, whatever. Um, but also sometimes I'll do that activity where instead I give them kind of a, I'll give them sticks or have them just clear out, you know, foot by foot space and have them look and count how many living things are there. Um, is, is it plants? Is it creepy crawlies? Whatever it might be. And just really encouraging them to look closely at what's there, what's in front of them. Um, and all of those activities are, are really activities you could do just about anywhere. You don't have to have a huge amount of land um, to be able to do those things. Joe, what, um, what sort of activities do you really like? What did you really like? What I really, what I really like is are the activities. Uh, so you're, what you call predator prey, we call camouflage, um, mm -hmm. and so it goes into the whole idea of camouflage. So it's a, it's the exact same game, um, and so you can be on a hike doing that, and it, it just happens. Um, I love the man-made trail, um, and I've seen it led a couple of different ways. Uh, and so the the idea is that you have a small section of the the woods where. Um, you place, you as a leader, before they arrive, you place man-made objects. It could be a, a dice, it could be a, you know, a cup, it could be this. My favorite is, I was a, a first-year staff member at Kennesary Camp, and the nature guy hid, um, and he didn't hide, because the whole point is you walk through the man-made trail, and 
you have to f find all of these objects. And so at the end, you whisper to the nature guy, okay, well, I found seven. And he says, that's not the right number. And so you go back to the start of the trail and you walk it again. And so people are walking by themselves. This guy put a, a, a toilet bowl in the woods and nobody <laughs> saw it. Because it was, it was, it's one of those experiences where I was like, you're looking and you're like, you're you're looking for the little things and not the and you're not always looking up and you're looking down and you're not it's just and that was my biggest memory is that literally that week we I think there were 14 items on the man-made trail and we all got to 13 and we're like what is the 14th and literally Chuck walks us back through and he's like okay so we got the dice and we got the cup and the tree and the salt and pepper shakers and anybody notice the toilet bowl and we're all like oh my god what is that doing there um, and <laughs> it's one of those things. Just yesterday, um, the other thing I love to do is just hike and play. So free play in the woods is a very difficult thing, but when I was a camp counselor, I would do it like we had cabin free time. So I would literally go in the woods, which is partial laziness on your side as a, as a camp counselor, and partial brilliance is that you can literally sit and watch kids just entertain themselves. Um, Yesterday, I drove into the woods with a piano and left it in the middle of the woods. And so, um, it is, we, we have, when a piano comes to camp, a piano comes to die. Just so we're all on the same page here. Pianos <laughs> yes. don't come to camp to live long and fruitful lives. Pianos come to camp to die. Like when someone says in their basement, hey, I've got a piano, where can I send it to die? Oh, there's a camp that needs a piano. <laughs> this piano has been out of tune for quite a while, and it freezes and thaws. And so um, my old board chair said, why don't you put it in the woods, take the, the top off and take the bottom off, and then as leaves fall in the, in the, in the autumn, they'll hit the, the strings, and it'll create the, the funkiest sounds. And so yesterday was the day where we finally moved it out to the woods. Now, a couple of safety issues before anybody does this and then tries to blame me. You need to anchor it in so it can't fall backwards on somebody. So we're using just T-bar to anchor it in. But it is, we put it quite a distance off the trail. So when you're walking on the trail, you'll look off and you'll think to yourself, is that a piano? <laughs> no, that can't be a piano. And then you'll keep walking. But the best part is my maintenance guy brought out the bench. He's like, are we leaving this? I was like, sure, why not? You know, like the whole point is to see it go back to something. So um, it'll be interesting to see how kids respond to that this summer. Um, but the, those are some of my favorite activities. Any activity out of sharing nature with children are, they're just things I love to do because kids love it. It's the sitting, and I do this at chapel. We're, we're a Christian camp. So one of the activities I do is literally have kids sit on their own and close their eyes and they just listen for five minutes and that's really really hard for people to do because they're so used to to, to running and doing stuff um, and counting on their hands how many how many bird different bird calls they hear right as they go and so it's this whole um, idea I love all of those activities I'm, I'm really excited I can't express to you two how excited I am to to work on staff construction and be in the woods with staff construction because it just adds a different level to my my team building uh, facilitation abilities, right? So, um, it, yeah, I'm fascinated by this. That's awesome. One of um, our 
the the camp that we used to run is right on the lake and surrounded by marsh. So from sort of the first week of June till the first weekend in August, you can't function outside at dusk. So it's just too much mosquitoes. Like it's um, if it's a running game, you can function for about twenty minutes. But as soon as you stop to breathe, you just get swarmed. And um, we did a council hunt one time where. <clears throat> where I went out full bug suit and like completely covered and I just lay in the woods and it was the loudest experience I've ever had because there were so many mosquitoes on me. So I, I don't see training in the woods being possible for Karen, um, but it's I, it, we need to do whatever we can to, to get them out there. And it's always when the, the first week of August comes and the mosquitoes sort of back off and then the month of August we can have outdoor campfires and all those things. Um, it's such a change in sort of the spirit of camp that um, I think just because those kids are so much more tied into not just daytime experiences in the woods, but nighttime experiences as well. And I think that some of my coolest activities that I've seen and been a part of have been night hikes. Um, and we have a particular patch of the playing field that at just the right time at the end of June and the first week of July is zillions of fireflies and taking city kids to see not one firefly but more fireflies than they can count and I say city kids that's bad overgeneralization but people that aren't used to um, being in the wilderness um, take them to that moment where you just cross the hill and you, if people are like oh, what is that and then they get the idea for the first time and see that thing it's just an, an awesome moment to be a part of as a leader Um, what I want to do now in, in the discussion, um, and if people are watching this live or watching the video, seeing me looking over to the side and being a bit distracted, I've been trying for half an hour to get Harold to, to join us, and we just couldn't work it out technologically. So I'm going to do a, a little one-on-one -on -one interview with him that will be live after this on the same channel, on the, on the Camp Hacker YouTube channel. And uh, I'll get some of Harold's ideas for just a, a short interview. But I wanted to see if there's anything that either of you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about. Um, and we'll just wrap up the discussion for today. It's, it's a great topic. I hope we do it every year. It becomes a tradition to do this show um, at this point in the spring. So, um, and obviously, the my two other co-panelists share my passion for, for this topic at camp. So I'm excited to do it again soon. But let me just see. Is there anything, Joe, that you wanted to add to this discussion that we haven't talked about yet? I don't think there's anything that I want to add, but I say that and then I keep talking, so, you know, I know there's issues with, with that. Um, nature is one of those things that it is, for lots of people, whether you're a city kid or whether you're a farm kid or whether you're a rural kid, camp offers this unique ability to put us in a place and in a setting, and it can be the buildings, but a lot of times it has to do with nature. So um, to speak a little bit about uh, something religious but not too much is the fact that I often get asked, where, where, do you f where is God for you? That's a question people ask church people, and I, I, I'm like, I know exactly where he is. He's at Vesper Point at Kennesari Camp. Like, I know exactly where to go if I want to feel that presence. Um, and I know exactly where to go if I'm stressed out. I need to go to the woods, right? I need to go and do the walk. And that's one of the reasons we put our labyrinth in the woods is because it's such a peaceful, quiet place that you can still hear the world happening around you. And, um, and for that half hour, 45 minutes it takes you to walk our labyrinth, it really re-centers you in, in a 
you know, the world's okay, right? So um, I, nature is just a, a, a part that we should make more and more of our program. We shouldn't rely on... Um, I feel that we there are lots of camps that have a challenge and rely a lot on program. So we have sailing and we have canoeing and we have pottery and we have um, we have arts and crafts and we have this and we have that and we have tennis and we have horseback riding. But you do nothing. And and the challenge is if how do you get kids interested? And that's by amazing programmers or amazing mentors as as Ruby uses. So. That's great. There is um, a concept in Celtic spirituality, sort of pre-Christian Celtic spirituality of thin places. And I always find that thin places, camp is a thin place for a lot of people. It's sort of a, a thin place between this world and the divine. And um, that I, I think that echoes the concept of what you, you felt growing up at Kenesari, Joe. Ruby, is there anything else you wanted to add in before we move on? Um, I think a great supplement to any nature programming is a, a great library, um, having resources to go to, to find answers, to encourage questions. Um, I absolutely agree that so much of it is having the right people, um, but having resources for them to use and for your counselors to use and your kids to use um, there are so many great books out there, so many great field guides. Um, I certainly have my little library that I tote around everywhere I go. But also with technology these days, there are some great resources too. Um, one of the ones that blew my mind last summer was this iBird app that you can literally go through a list of birds and it'll show you a picture of them and it'll start, um, if you want, it'll play the calls. And so I was out on a hike with one of our senior mentors, and he's literally playing the call of this bird that we're looking at just down the road. And the bird is freaking out, going, where's this other bird that's calling to me? And it was so cool. And I will never forget that bird call ever again. So there's an interesting conversation going on right now with outdoor educators about the role of you know tablets and apps, because I think that may be a tool you're going to see more use of. And certainly there's a balance of how much we use it, um, but there's certainly some value to some of what's out there. Ruby, what are some of the books that you would recommend? Oh man, I can send you a list. <laughs> it's probably the easiest thing to do. Well, I think um, that I think that our people would love to have a list on a Camp Hacker people because this is this is one of the things is putting together that library and letting people have at it, right, to, to read and get excited. So that would be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I can do that for you. Great. Thanks. Send it to me, and I'll make sure it goes up with the, the blog post when this goes live. I know that one of your picks is your tool of a tool of the week, so we'll get to that in just a second. What was it you said about technology? Um, awesome apps. That um, that I that I love. And this will be my final point on this. Is um, any night hikes? Obviously, I keep saying night hikes. Um, or any of the constellation finder apps that you can turn the phone around and it'll point and touch the sky and say, right behind the phone in this direction is this constellation. And, I love those. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the first things I downloaded when I got my first smartphone. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, you two. Uh, and again, we'll uh, we'll get Harold's perspective uh, when I interview him after this show, um, and I look forward to doing that. I want you to make sure, and I'm going to share my screen. 
Um, I want everyone to make sure that they check out his website, though. So if you don't listen to the interview or watch the interview, then um, make sure you check out the Nature Watch website. You can see it here on my screen. It's at nature-watch.com. Um, and they have some great nature programs. And the neat thing, I think, about what they have to offer is that, um, that Harold was a camp director and really comes at all those things from a camp director's perspective. So there's great things um, available there. At this point, then, I think we'll move ourselves on to the tool of the week. Tool of the week. So for the tool of the week this week, Joe, what did you pick? This week I chose the Fort guitar case. Fort is F-O-R-T, which is French for strong. Um, it is, uh, it's one of those things when you've been doing tools of the week for as long as I have, you, you sometimes run out of ideas. And just the other day I was um, leading, a, leading some songs and I, I got my guitar out of the case and I went to tune it and I didn't have to tune it. And it, it's a brilliant thing. The four guitar case is made out of memory foam, so it's really light, really easy to carry. It's made by uh, the Godin Guitar Company out of Quebec, and um, it's available. I put a, a there's a link that will be to. Um, it's only costs eighty nine dollars for the guitar case. It's 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 very comparable with any hard shell. There's a guy who once shared a story that um, the way that sales guys first sold this guitar case in music stores is they would put a, a seagull guitar in it. They would shut the case and then they would throw it down a flight of stairs and let let the case bounce around and whatnot. Then they would walk to the bottom of the stairs, climb back up, open the open the guitar case. A the the case, the guitar's in perfect condition. B the guitar's still in tune, and um, and it's great. It's I it's it's dramatically lighter than a, a hard shell case, and I would recommend it highly. It's a great pick, Joe. Thank you. Ruby, since your tool is so on topic, I'm going to give you the last word. Well, I'll, I'll share mine first. Um, my tool of the week is uh, something that happens in business. Or it's used in business quite often. It's called the Net Promoter Score Survey. And um, these guys did some research and decided that the most important question you could ask in a survey is, will you recommend us to your friends and family or not? Um, and uh, so the the question is, um, really, would you friend, rec recommend us to your friends and colleagues? Um, and rate between one and ten, you know, how strongly you'd recommend us. So net promoters are there's a little bit of math there, but people who vote nine and ten are promoters. They're the ones that will recommend you to others, etc. There's a, a group at uh, seven and eight that are neutral, and then the other ones are detractors. They're the ones that would actually probably say negative things about you. And um, we were discussing this the other day uh, about how you could use Net Promoter Score effectively as a summer camp. And I was thinking that if you sent it out the day, like three days after, if you sent it on the day that the parents pick up their kids from the bus or pick them up at camp, um, then they're, they're experience, the score that they gave would be on their experience as a parent, how easy was it to pay, how easy it was to drop off, etc. But not necessarily get the whole family's perspective, not get the kid's perspective. But if you give parents 
something at pickup that was we've talked about this in the show before the idea of giving parents a um a sheet or a postcard or something with um, probing questions that you can ask your kid is often you'd ask kids how their week was at camp and they'd say great and then you say what do you do oh well nothing um, and just not remember and so by giving them something I, I think a postcard would be great it's nice and solid it says ask your kid about what their favorite early if they went to polar bear dip or early morning activities um, what was the favorite song at campfire what, um, what what activity did they like the most what did they bring home from arts and crafts all those things so that you get a, a good perspective on what the kids camp experience was and then three days later send an email to the parents says fill out this two-minute survey It'd be great so your parents give um, the answer on the scale of one to ten and then you ask them why why they answered that so if they answered you can funnel it so if they answer nine and ten then you say we're so glad that that you, you would recommend us um, what are the sort of things that you would say to friends to recommend us so you just get a pers an idea of what the things are that they're saying about you um, you know, seven and eight, thank you very much for coming to camp. Um, we really appreciate your input. Uh, what can we do to make this better for you? Um, and then the one to sixes, you would send them a separate little question that says, thank you for your answer. We're sorry you don't feel like you had a great time. Um, what do you think that we could do better? What could we make this to better for other families in the future? And if you like, give us your phone number here and one of our directors will call you. And I think that that survey is super fast for them to fill out so you'd have um, you let them know from the start it's a two-minute survey um, you get more people to sign it and you get more um, feedback from them um, but it's also a way for you to then judge what they'd say to others and figure out ways to to correct your mistakes because if you don't know if a family is upset by something then you have no way of reacting to it and trying to fix that problem and by its simplicity, I think the question will um, mean that more families fill it out. So that's my tool is the Net Promoter Survey. You look up Net Promoter Score on Google, you'll see tons of stuff about it, including the original website, which I will link to in, in the show notes. So Ruby, you have a good topic-related choice that we've actually mentioned in passing already. It's true. Joe mentioned the Coyote's Guide to Connecting Children with Nature. Um, it's written by John Young, Ellen Haas, and Evan McGowan. Um, and there's actually a new edition that's newer than this one. Um, but this right here is a training manual for a naturalist, um, somebody that you want to take, uh, have your have take your campers out into the woods and, and teach them about nature. You can give them this book and say, "Read this book," and then we'll talk. Um, it's got some great routines, things to make sure you're doing every day. It's got great things for parents who are looking to incorporate nature into their children's lives more and get them more excited about it. So this is a, a resource for them as well. Um, it's just phenomenal. It's got some naturalist stuff in it too, like why do birds behave this way? Why does the season affect us this way? So it's got some good knowledge there. Um, it's it is dense and uh, thorough, so it'll it'll take some time to read, but it certainly gives all the guidelines and all the tools you need for being a great mentor and nature educator. And I a thousand percent recommend it and um, would encourage any of your staff that you are really looking to to grow as nature educators to read this book. Amazing. 
Thanks very much for sharing that. Uh, at this point, we're going to wrap it up. We thank those who have been watching live and those who will watch the video coming forward. Um, going forward. And uh, if you do watch this and like the show, then don't forget you can go to uh, camphacker.tv slash podcast and find the link to download the audio versions of previous shows and you can watch all those there. What I'd like to do now is thank Ruby for being on the show. Ruby, it was awesome to have you back. I hope we get to have you back on a lot more going forward. Thank you. Ruby, can you tell people where people they can find out and follow you, find you online and follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can email me at ruby at greenriverpreserve.org. I'm also on Twitter, rubylin85. And um, other than that, just following all the social media from Green River Preserve, I'm behind a lot of that kind of stuff too. Amazing. Thanks for being on again, Ruby. Thank you again. Thanks, Joe. Anytime. People can follow me at... Uh, there's a bit of a delay. <laughs> Where can we follow you, Joe? You don't know what I'm saying because I wasn't saying anything. At YoYoJoeR is my Twitter handle, and you can follow personally. Um, probably that's the best place to follow me because... <laughs> I haven't updated the website in a bit. Um, you can find out all about Camp uh, Pierce Williams Christian Center at campisbetter.com. Life is good. Camp is better. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being on the show. Joe, it's great to see you. We would uh, like to, as a Camp Hacker community, offer our congratulations to Dan. <coughs> Dan and his wife, Allie, became parents on Friday. Uh, so they have a brand new baby girl. Uh, so... Um, we're looking forward to hearing more about her and when Dan gets back on the show. So they're going to take a little bit of time off. So I'm hoping we get to talk to Dan once before summer happens, but we'll see. And so congratulations to Dan and Allie. That's amazing. Um, Gab sends her regrets. She wasn't feeling very well today, so wasn't uh, able to be on the show. But uh, if you're following the show, either listening to it or watching it, we hope that you'll go to camphacker.tv slash podcast and find the show notes there. And um, there'll be links to our tools and find all previous shows under in that section of the website. If you have any comments or questions you'd like to answer, then I hope that you will send an email to me. That's travis at socialcatalyst.ca. Um, or you can follow Camp Hacker on Twitter at, at Camp Hacker. Um, and we are trying to do better at posting when the shows will be live if you want to watch it at your, while you're working on a, th at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday or Tuesday morning. But uh, we also hope that you will look down below and click the submit button. It's really helpful to us to have people who subscribe, not submit, subscribe. Um, people who subscribe to the show, that's, um, that's really helpful to us that people will get the shows when we put them out. We do our best to make them twice a month, but sometimes things happen and we don't get, aren't very regular. So if you follow there, you'll get a notification whenever the new shows go online. So please click subscribe. And thank you very much for everyone for watching. Our apologies to Harold from Nature Watch. We just watch for but watch for that interview with him.
Hello, everybody. This is Travis. Um, as I said a number of times throughout the show, we had trouble getting Harold on, and I was able to interview him as soon as we were done with the show. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that you got a chance to hear some of the cool stuff that he he had to, to add to the discussion. So I hope you'll enjoy this little extra bit on this um, on, on this one special show. Looking forward to giving you a couple more shows before the summer's out. Take care. Hello, everybody. This is Travis from Camp Hacker, and uh, I managed to work out whatever was going wrong while I was recording the last video. I was trying the whole time to get Harold onto the show, uh, but it didn't work out. But I didn't want you to miss out on the great stuff that he has to offer. Um, and Harold's got some pretty great experiences um, in nature programming that I really wanted you just to, to, to get to hear. So I'm, I appreciate that he's willing to do an interview. So welcome to Camp Hacker, Harold. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's it's good to be here. The frustrations of technology set aside. <laughs> well, I do really appreciate your patience. Um, but I was so excited to have you on to share your perspective, and that didn't work out. So I want to make sure that I I talk to you. What I wanted to open with, Harold, is um, is your background in summer camp. You were a counselor, etc., up to camp director and owner. I wound up uh, at a day camp in the Los Angeles area as a junior counselor and then worked at the camp for the college summers. When I graduated from college, um, the timing was just right. They asked me to become the, the seasonal director. And so I did that. That was back in 1981. Um, started in 82 as director and then wound up being director of that camp for 30 years. Um, during the first five years of directing, we had an animal specialist who brought all kinds of wonderful animals to camp, um, tarantulas, snakes, you name it. Kids were handling them. Um, we then lost that person and were kind of without a nature exposure at all, even though we we're in this beautiful setting. And so we struggled for a couple of years as we tried to find a solution to that. What was um, the, the setting? Was it, and was it kids from LA, from the city that were coming? It was not, not city, more suburban. Right. Um, we're very fortunate to be in the Santa Monica Mountains. As a matter of fact, frame of reference, the, the uh, Springs fire that was just burning was about 10 miles from our camp. Um, the 45 acres just uh, in Ventura County. So we're in that chaparral dry area, so a beautiful setting. Um, but it's really tough to find anyone in our area that had a nature background, a naturalist. And so we struggled uh, for a solution for that for a long time, like many camps do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the question I asked the others that were, our, that were on the show, I really want to hear from you. What, what things... What are some experiences, obviously, getting to be sort of see things up close? Um, but what are some of the experiences that you most remember that became, you know, important foundational aspects to your life that were camp experiences that really taught you a lot about nature? Um, while our camp was set in the Santa Monica Mountain setting, I lived on paved streets in suburban America. Um, green grass and and asphalt, and so being out in camp was a chance to actually hike, actually ride a horse, be up on trails and do those things. Climb to the top of our local mountain and, and see a vista that just could go 30 miles in either direction on a clear day. Experiences you just don't get when you're sitting at home, and you know, even if you're upstairs in your bedroom in a two-story house, you look out and you don't see much compared to being on top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. So those types of things are just a way to become aware that the world's a little bigger than, than we see in our day-to-day -day life. And I think today it's particularly important with all the challenges that we have that children get that exposure in a positive way with leaders who are excited about it because our kids are going to be the stewards of the future and they're going to be good stewards or poor 
poor stewards, depending on the experiences that they have. Yeah. Can you can you share with us some of the activities that, um, or some of the things that you're encouraging your staff to do to get kids to get that outdoor experience and and to what sounds like develop the same love for it that you, that you had? Sure, sure. It's actually interesting. Um, when I was a young camp director, there used to be the end of the summer hike, and I would take the oldest two groups up to the top of the mountain, and it was an all all day adventure. Um, some would call it an all day ordeal. Uh-huh. It was it was an adventure. Uh, and it was interesting over the years to see the interest on the part of kids really dwindle. And so we kept hiking in as a part of our program regardless because we felt it was important that even though kids weren't as excited about going up and doing it, that they get that exposure and that experience. And the kids who did it wound up really enjoying it um, and wanted to do more of it. So it's one of those examples of the fact that we get pushback sometimes, but sometimes we have to have to kind of accept that pushback but help redirect it in a direction that helps kids experience things in a positive way that they might not think they want to do, but actually would enjoy. Yeah, that's great. So along your, your journey of being camp director, you found this company called Nature Watch, and now it's your company. Correct. It's one of those stories where we liked it so much that we bought the company. Um, actually, the company was uh, possibly going to go out of business, and so we had used Nature Watch for many years. The founder of the company came to me to say, hey, I'd love to teach kids about nature, and when I offered her a job for the summer, she refused to take it. She wanted to be at lots of different camps and offer experiences. And so she came to us for a week that first summer back in the late 80s, and she taught our kids about animal tracks. Um, they actually got to make a track, learn about tracking, and then take that track home with them. And the excitement that we saw was just tremendous. And so we worked with Terry for a number of years. She wound up training our staff so that we then had a person who could implement the programs that she created. And over the years, she created a concept that allows camps to purchase a kit. And in that kit is a very basic instructor's manual so that any staff person can become a naturalist. If they're excited, if they're enthusiastic, if they want to teach kids about nature, they can do it. They don't have to know a thing about leaves to learn enough about leaves on their own to be able to then teach. And so Nature Watch is a source for those types of things, as well as all the things that you find in your nature centers, your replica skulls and posters and displays, all those types of things. Of the, the the products that you offer, what are what is it that get the people get the most excited about? The thing that people are are coming back for year after year. That's a great question. Often people will come up to a to a booth when I'm at ACA National or Tri-State, and they'll say, "What's your what's your best selling thing?" And the best selling is what fits best in a particular camp. Yeah. Uh, what are the age of the campers? What are the interests um, for older campers? The Make your own compass, where they're learning how to how to use a compass, but they start by making a very simple compass. It's a good place to start. Um, making your own sundial and learning to tell time with the sun. We talk about the fact how did George Washington coordinate his timing with his troops? You know, they didn't they didn't look at their Casio or their Timex. Um, they had to rely on the sun, and so um, those are two really popular ones. Things that that allow kids to realize that we live in this world we sort of take for granted. We don't, we don't recognize that all these things are around us, and yet they are. So those are popular. Um, there are some great take-home projects that, that you know, mom or dad loves to see, a, a pressed leaf coaster where children have learned about leaves and they take home this very nice finished product. Um, it's really important to us that uh, any project that comes home from Nature Watch be one that, that camp directors will feel good about offering and kids will be excited to take home with them. That's great. Do you have any uh, hidden gems, ones that you think are great, but uh, that you wish more camp- camps would buy? 
Um, you know, I, I, I won't say yes to that. There are, okay. They're all hidden gems in their own way for the right camp. And again, I come back to our goal is to help a camp director figure out what's a good fit for them. Um, I encourage camp directors to call us. My partner is a former camp director. We've used all of these kits in camps. Um, and we would much rather a camp not use something if it's not going to be a good fit. So we'd rather talk to people and help them figure out what's, what's going to be best for them. Um, a great thing for directors to know is that what we've done is for the instructor manuals, which are very basic, um, we provide those to the camps in advance of the summer. So if someone purchases a, an activity kit from us, we'll send them a link to a PDF of that kit and encourage them to send that on to their nature specialist, counselor, well before summer. That lets that counselor know what's expected of them in advance and they can then do some additional research to come to camp prepared and ready to teach that subject. That's great. I maybe this should have been one of my first questions, but um, but I but I'd love to hear your answer. Why do you think it's important that we do nature programming and teach nature stuff? I think it goes back to what I said before about about our kids being kind of the future the future stewards of our environment. Um, it's gotten more challenging, I think, to teach kids about nature because so many of today's staff don't have the experience themselves. You know, people like myself in the 50s, our parents used to say, go play, be home for dinner. And we were gone. And they assumed that we'd be back and we could be anywhere. Um, obviously, times have changed. Parents aren't comfortable doing that. So kids aren't getting that natural experience out in nature where they're breaking twigs and building forts and doing the things in the undeveloped land that might be around their communities. And so if we don't provide a structured way to do that in a camp setting, they're probably not going to get that. And yet when they, when they have that experience, they love it. They go home, they talk about the fort that they built, or the mud that they played in, or the creek that they crossed, or the rocks that they skipped off the lake. Um, those are things that, that children just don't have the opportunity to do in their day-to-day -day life today like we did in the past. And so I think that um, camp is a, a natural place to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know that um, some of my greatest, and I like you. I grew up. I grew up on a farm, so I we had bush that we would play in all the time, and sure. and it was the same thing. We'd just have to be home for dinner, uh, and it was such an awesome experience. And and the people that I shared that with growing up are still really very important to me. And I think that um, it's a privilege to get to do that as a camp, um, and be that place that that some of those kids get to see that nature isn't all perfect, um, but that it's, you know, endlessly fascinating and lots of things to learn about. That's really right. cool. And there are opportunities for other learning as well. I mean, yeah. I'll never forget being out in a field. I was probably eight years old with a small group of guys and someone got hurt and they were bleeding. And so this big kid, he was probably a young teen, actually took off his shirt and tore it up and put a bandage on and tied it on and we all walked home. Yeah. Well, obviously we'd hope no one gets hurt. Um, but I learned a lot from that experience, as other, did others. And in camp, we can create safe ways for kids to take on leadership roles and to, to learn through that experience. Who's going to lead the hike? What are we going to set up as our rules? How are we going to communicate those rules? So nature can be a tool through which all that great growth happens in camp that we want to see from campers in all areas of their experience. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the people that, uh, Joe and Ruby, that were on the Camp Hacker recording, they got to bring a tool to the discussion. Um, and I'd ask you to do the same, and I'm excited to hear what, what would be, what's your tool of the week? Um, I don't know if it's tool of the week, but I, I went looking through many of the books that we have here. Uh, the one that, that struck me was, it's called Nature-Oriented Activities, A Leader's Guide. Um, interestingly, it was first published in 1965. 
as I flipped through and saw references to the internet, I had to quickly realize that um, it's now on its fourth printing. Um, but what I like about it is for a camp director that might be asking themselves, how do I get started? How do I, how do I introduce a nature program? It's got a whole introductory chapter about that. And then it moves on to the nature games, um, nature crafts, other specific areas. So um, Nature-Oriented Activities, A Leader's Guide, uh, it's published by the American Camp Association, I think is a great resource. That's great. That's good. And, um, and I think it's good for directors to have um, a good library of stuff that they can offer to people that they hire and say, if you're building a program, here's a great place to start. And if that's if that book takes it from step one, that's a, a great resource. It is. And I think one of the things that I've seen over the years is that it's important for the camp to create the program. When I speak with camp directors, often they'll say, I've got a great naturalist. The program is wonderful. But I know that when that person leaves, we're going to be in real trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that when you've got that great specialist, you've got a gift. And what you want to try to do is sort of capture that gift and help them work with you to create a structure that can exist beyond their tenure in camp because they'll inevitably move on. And so that might mean deciding that for your camp you might have three levels of programming, your youngest, your middle, and your older, and the younger ones will over a two-year period do these activities and the uh, middle ones will do the separate set and the older ones a separate set and to document that so that once that great person moves on you have someone else who can step in and continue that curriculum and not feel like you're at a complete loss because that person was the program. So I always encourage people to do that. And if, if they don't have that specialist, they can do it themselves. That book actually is a good starting point. Um, but if they just can spend some time in the off-season, in the fall, and decide what they want their kids to learn and begin to lay out that curriculum, then they can plug staff into the curriculum that they've established. Uh, a college student coming to camp typically isn't going to be prepared to create that curriculum for a camp on the fly. Yeah. Well, Harold, I really, as I say, I appreciate your patience. I'm so glad that uh, you're willing to give me a couple of minutes here to, to talk about um, about this that we're going to talk about this morning and to get a bit of your perspective. I think it's, um, it's great for camp directors to know that someone who is offering products to camps is someone that understands their experience and that it's unique from school and, and other and people that sort of sell to to everybody that what you have is really focused on a I, I'm sure you sell to more than just camps but that that your background brings this from a camp perspective so I'm grateful that you gave me the time can you let people know how they can find Nature Watch and and follow the stuff that you folks do online sure um, our website is nature-watch.com so it's nature-watch.com they can email to me directly at herald at nature-watch.com. Uh, pick up the phone and call, 800-228-5816. Um, don't be shy. As I say, we love to answer those questions. We love to know that things are being used well and, and the kids are having a good experience. That's awesome. And Harold, I've seen the, the booth for years at, at Tri-State and things, but I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk this year when we were at the ACA Mid-States. Um, and um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and getting to know a bit more about it, about Nature Watch and what you folks have to offer. And um, I look forward to having you on uh, on the show again sometime in the, in the future. We decided this morning that we're going to make sure we do a nature programming um, show every spring so that it's That's something great. the camps have to have to to rely on a bit of good sharing of program ideas. Terrific, terrific. Happy to be here and glad that uh, we were able to make it work. Awesome.
The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Building great camp community at camphacker.org.